0: Good morning. I pray this morning as I share out of the Word of God that the Lord would just uh, allow only what He wants spoken and those things that you need to hear the most. Uh, I'm simply a vessel, a servant, I pray. There's some things on my heart. I want to talk about the war on the Word of God. My text this morning is 2 Timothy 4, 3-4. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word, be instant in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort, and with all suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will no longer endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears And they shall turn their ears from the truth, turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. The word itching ears here means desiring to hear something pleasant. You are likely going to hear some unpleasant things this morning, because I believe many things that the word of God does to comfort, to encourage, but it also is to convict us and to set our path straight before God in the way that we're walking with him. So those we have entered an era, I believe in the Western church where people are more concerned with hearing a good message, a popular message, a nice message, a message that makes us feel good about ourselves, feel good about our, our lives. But I believe with all of my heart that as I know Pastor Charlie does, that we're entering into the last days. And when you see a house that is on fire, you do not stand around the house and say, isn't that a pretty light? You say, get out of the house. This is real. So it's real time for believers. And I believe the church in the Western world is going to uh, suffer a divide like it has not seen since America was formed. And it's going to be a divide between most of the church that's going to fall into the cascade of false doctrine, of abandoning the word of God, of heaping to themselves teachers having itching ears, and are going to follow after false things, and possibly even the Antichrist. And then there's going to be those who hold the truth of the word of God extremely important, and they are going to stand for truth no matter what. And I think we're re- reaching that point as it was in, in the Old Testament where the word was, Who is on the Lord's side? And so this is going to be a little bit of a dividing word. And I trust that we all, myself included, will come out at the end where we're saying, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The Bible says, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. How do we know the truth? Well, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Romans ten seventeen says that. Jesus is both the word and he is the truth. And he said in Hebrews, Lo, I am come in the volume of the book it is written to me to do thy will, O God. You cannot separate the word of God from the words of God that he has graciously given us. It's all one. It's all extraordinarily important and to abandon the scriptures in any portion or try to change it or try to loosen it or try to make it say something it doesn't is an extremely dangerous spiritual game and one that we should never participate in or encourage in any way, shape or form. I remember when I was first, before I came to Christ, I was studying every world religion there was. I was raised in an occult setting in many ways and so I was a natural towards occult things and I studied the occult teachers like Edgar Casey and like Gene Dixon and some of the others and Bishop Pike who did seances to talk to his deceased son. And I started to study other religions because there was a hunger in my heart to know what is real, what is true. I was like Pilate, what is truth? I wanted to know what is true, so I studied the Quran for a while and I studied Uh, other scriptures, and I even tried to study the Bible, and when I did, I understood none of it. Not one word. I did pick up the Bible several times, and I read it, I said, I don't get this, so I stopped reading it. Now I understand, I could not have understood it because I was not born again into the life of Jesus Christ. All I understood is I didn't understand it. One day I was studying through some of the Hindu scriptures, and I read this, that the world was hatched out of an egg. And I remember laughing and saying, you know what, this ain't going to cut it for me. Just no. I've studied some stuff, but the world would not hatch out of an egg. When I came to Jesus Christ, the very day, the very moment I was born again in Jesus Christ, I picked up this word and I began to devour it. And I understood it and I hungered for it and I longed after it. And I picked up a highlighter and highlighted every single verse I could find in that word because I was starving. I had ingested so many lies. I wanted the truth. And I found the truth to be here. And I found healing in the scriptures. I found life in the scriptures. I found the power of God in the scriptures. And it became life to me. My first year, I went through my first Bible. The pages were falling all over the place. Couldn't wait to get to my next one so I could underline some more. And I say this with not any sense of false humility, but I don't have a great retention ability. God did not grant me that. And yet when it came to the word of God, it just came into my heart in such a powerful way that it not only was in my heart, but would come out of my mouth at the times when it needed to the most. And I found something out about that. There's power in the word of God, in the spoken word of God. I remember very clearly we were witnessing in a uh, setting out in California was called Topanga Canyon. It was like the worst place in Southern California. It was the home of every single burnout rock star, uh, hippie, uh, murderer, ex-murderer, going to be murderer, uh, all those. People. And, and we were there with my pastor. He, was not, he would go where angels fear to tread. And we would go into every single bar that there was where there was just all this, you could feel the darkness in there. And we'd talk to people about Jesus. And I remember one time I knew this one guy was very dangerous and he came over, he wanted to talk to me about this God of mine. And he sat down and he was so drunk and you could just feel the evil and feel the rage on him. And he said, tell me about what you think. And I said, well, I believe in Jesus Christ. And he said, Jesus is dead. And before I knew what happened, the word just came out of my mouth, and I said, Jesus Christ is alive. And his reaction was something like this. Oh, oh, man, I got to get out of here. I I, got to get out of here. And bam, he was gone. Well, all I was doing was quoting the, the angels that said to the women at the tomb, he is alive. That's the power of God through the word of God. And that's why I love this word. So I have a personal interest in this because the word of God is being attacked in such a way in the world that I've never seen it before. Somebody was telling me about a show the other night and you cannot see a, a, a network TV anymore without being just plunged into spiritual corruption and into sexual perversion of every kind. And on one of the TV shows, I guess there was a whole discussion in the comedy show about a son who didn't want to attend his father's party because there was going to be multi-sexual things going on. And his other friends say, well, you should go ahead and do that. And, well, the Bible says, yeah, well, the Bible says a bunch of other stupid stuff, too. And it went off in that direction on network TV. So the war against the scriptures is just so you can feel it. It's palpable. There's a reason for it. But my concern is that it's come into the church now in the Western church and more and more what's called emergent churches and fellowships are lessening the need for the word of God, the power of the word of God, or the reading of the word of God. And so let's look at a little bit here. This has been going on a long time. I'm going to read you an excerpt from a book I wrote called Trojan Church. And I had no idea when God gave me this book. I don't know when it was, 2004, 2006. how precise it was gonna be going down the road, but let me just read you this. It's called, Did God Really Say? In the garden, Satan's ploy was to say, did God really say? It is still his strongest weapon. He is always getting people to question God's truth, his will, his love, and his intentions for his children. In Satan's confrontation with Jesus in the wilderness, it was the same ploy with more theological flourishes. Didn't God say his angels would bear you up on their wings lest you dash your foot on a stone? Go ahead and throw yourself down from here and prove it. Now he'd gone to quoting scriptures to get his way, to get Jesus to do things Satan's way, the satanic way, the way of self-will, self-wisdom, self-pride. Jesus simply quoted the word of God. And when Satan quoted scripture and said God said, Jesus struck back with, but it is also written. Jesus fought against well-crafted and even scripturally based lies with further truth from the scriptures, revealing Satan's lies for what they were, partial truths meant to deceive. Satan's ploy remains the same. He's still out to get people to question truth, question God, question the Bible. That's why you hear a lot about rethinking and reframing, and we need a new vocabulary Satan wants to distort, change, and repackage truth, twist it just enough to alter the power of truth, but not enough to show his hand as the one who did it. The answer to the satanic altering of truth that is working through contemplative prayer, purpose-driven, seeker-friendly, and emergent church distortions, misuse, and deletions of scripture is to say, thus says the word of the Lord. What says the word of God? It is written, and again, it is written though they may mock and denigrate the idea of living only according to the truth of the word of God, sola scriptura, which means only scripture. It works and has worked since the beginning of time and always will, and we move off of that mark to our own destruction. We must settle that this book that God gave us is the word of God, and we do not move one inch off of that mark because there's a war. The enemy always has, and always will attack God's word. Why is that? First of all, the word of God is powerful. Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. The word of God is powerful. The word of God brings the authority of God to defeat Satan's schemes and works. Satan fears the scriptures. Some of you know that I've done a lot of work over the years in praying for people who have demonic strongholds in their life. And there has never been a time when we've been in the midst of that very unpleasant battle that I don't recommend you do unless God calls you to that when we reach a roadblock, we pull out the scriptures and just the sight of this book will make those demons start to scream so much do they fear the word of God, so much do they fear the authority of God that's invested in that word. And when you start to read it, then you'll find out why the enemy hates it so much. The word of God brings the word of Jesus Christ and salvation, deliverance and healing. Well, where are we now? There's a scripture that came to me a couple of years ago that was pretty prophetic, I think. It's Isaiah 59, 14. And uh, Isaiah said, justice is turned back and righteousness stands afar off for truth is fallen in the street and equity cannot enter. In our culture, in all our society, and for those of us who have been around for a few decades, the changes have been breathtaking and startling how much has changed so fast. The war on the word, the, the tr- in our culture, the truth has become relative, it's become changeable, and it's become uncertain. I'm sure you've heard this, you talk to your friends, you try to share something about Jesus. Well, that's your truth. Well, I'm here to tell you there's not a your truth or my truth. A thing is either true or it's not. Because when you start to meddle and say my truth, your truth, relative truth, then you know have no anything foundationally to stand on. We can stand on the truth of who God says that he is in his word. Romans 1, I think, is the chapter that we are starting to live through where it says, because they did not want to retain God in their knowledge, therefore God gave them over to a reprobate mind. Read Romans 1 for yourself and tell me if we are not right there in a further fulfillment of the verse that was written by Paul all those centuries ago. And I think we're going to see a heightening of it and the conclusion of it before Jesus comes back. And so our culture has become culturally insane where you see people on TV and they think that they're speaking the truth and none of what they say makes truth, uh, makes sense if you walk in the truth. It's like listening to complete nonsense. But the thing is, it's the other thing on their side. They listen to believers and they're like, "What are you talking about? You don't make any sense." Well, The only difference is is that the truth has a way of penetrating through the lies and bringing people out of the insanity and into the truth and giving people their sanity back. See, before Jesus, I had almost lost my sanity. I believed every lie there was. I was suicidal, I didn't know what to do, I was drinking, I was doing all this stuff. When I was saved and I got the word of God, it restored my sanity. And that's the other thing do you remember the story of the man that was in the tombs that was running through the tombs naked and cutting himself and everybody was scared to death of him jesus went and cast those demons out of him and it said they found him restored and clothed and in his right mind jesus restored his sanity and that's an awesome Thing, I think, in a day and age where we see culture of just losing its mind, that we can bring sanity through truth through Jesus Christ. But we have to stay the course and not bow the knee. The war on the word of God is nothing new, but it's entering its final stages, I believe, in this hour. We gave some historical perspective because there is historical and scriptural precedent. Thomas Jefferson, one of our great founding fathers, decided that he didn't like most of what was in the Bible. So during his uh, lifetime, he decided he would sit there and he would cut out everything in the Bible he didn't like and throw it out and just keep the parts that he liked. You know, would that we could do this? Anybody else find portions of Scripture that make you uncomfortable? Yes, if you're honest. Yes, absolutely, yes. Now find Scriptures that make you uncomfortable in your sins and your compromise? Yes. Yes make you feel uncomfortable socially because you believe something that the rest of the world doesn't believe? Yes, well, what do you do with that? Well, as I said last night, you know, when you get your own universe, you can make up your own rules. But in the meantime, Thomas Jefferson made himself a fool thinking himself to be wise and came up with a very little bunch of scriptures that just didn't, it was just his own, his own distortions and delusions of what he thought the truth was. And so you cannot do that, though there was a king that tried to do that in the Old Testament during Jeremiah's reign, and as I said last night, if anybody is in ministry and you're discouraged because nobody's listening, don't worry about it. You'll never have it as bad as Jeremiah, because as far as I know, he preached his whole career, and his only convert was his scribe, Baruch, that's it. Everybody else rejected every word that he brought. Well, he had a very strong word for King Jehoiakim, and he made two copies, because that was wise, And then he sent Baruch and said, I'm in the prison here. I can't do this, but I want you to go be my representative and bring this to the king. So it had to go through several ranks before it actually got to the king. That was sitting by the fire, nice cozy winter fire, and they read him the word of the Lord, and he took it one page at a time and threw it in the fire, one page at a time, and threw it in the fire. And I'm starting to see that in our Western church. I don't like that passage. We'll change it. I don't like that passage, let's reinterpret it. This is what I call exacto knife Christianity. Don't like it? Oh, we can just cut that part out. Okay, I feel better. What a dangerous thing when you read the book of Revelation and says anyone who takes away or adds to this book, then the curses of this book will be added to them. Whoa, I wanna stay with what God's written. I'm gonna trust what I read and trust what I hear. What God has spent all thousands of years bringing to us these truths so actually from the Inquisition where men of God who felt called by God to get the Bible into the hands of common people were tortured and killed by the church for trying to get the Bible into common people's hands that was a war on the word of God. The communist holocaust was a war on the word of God. Millions, 50 million or more in China, more more than that I think in the Soviet Union were killed for having a Bible, for being believers. That is a war on the word of God. Voltaire, the uh, philosopher who hated God and hated the Bible, and he he was one of those who had a war on the word of God. And then there was Nietzsche, who was a philosopher some time ago. And some of you might remember back in the early, mid-70s, 60s, a big time article headline god is dead they proclaimed that god is dead nietzsche i used to have the t-shirt i still want to find it that says god is dead nietzsche and underneath it it says nietzsche is dead god god always wins this war the truth always stands and then we went through an age where Madeline Murray O'Hare in the 60s, 50s, she went through with her satanic, uh, anti Christ, anti God crusade and had prayer removed out of the schools. Her son became a Christian, which enraged her. And she died as a result of a murder. What a tragic life. But the Word of God remains. We have seminaries. We used to call them cemeteries because a lot of the places that call them higher uh, education for Christian learning are not that anymore. Young men and women of God feel a call of God. They go to these seminaries and they end up going through a rigorous thing called higher and lower criticism in which their professors spend semesters destroying their faith in the scriptures. And the parents think they're sending their kids to Bible school and what they're getting is their faith completely shredded and returned into the pulpits of America, all over America, mere shells of human being that can do no more than get up in the pulpit and give people nice ideas, psychological suggestions, and how to have your best life now. But the life of God was removed because they removed the scriptures from their hearts and their minds. There was a war and I want to show you how this works. Back in the 70s, there was a, I believe Church of Christ preacher that moved to San Francisco and he had a great idea. He went to San Francisco, he was feeding the poor. Shouldn't we be doing that? Absolutely. He was feeding the poor. It was the first multiracial church probably in America, Hispanic, black, white, Asian, everything in one church. Shouldn't we have that? Absolutely we should. But he had a different agenda. And his agenda was to build up his kingdom. And once he had the accolades of presidents and mayors and governors, then he started to talk to his people and he took his Bible one time and threw it down and said, you don't need this book. You don't need the Bible. You need to listen to me. You think how insane. Well, it didn't stop over 950 people who believed him rather than the word of God from following him to British Guyana in South America, and when he said, drink the poison, it's time to die, that they did exactly that. If they had listened to the word of God instead of that man, they would have probably still been alive. This matters to me because we are probably, this generation is probably, and forgive me, and when I say this generation, I'm talking about probably uh, my generation downward, is probably the most biblically illiterate generation in history. We don't know what the Word of God says, and if you don't know, you have no defenses against the lies that are coming, none whatsoever. We had somebody come to our youth group a few years ago. We had an outreach right across from Hanks, and he was a young man who had been in some form of youth ministry and We thought he would be good to have talk to the kids and he got up and started talking and he got all excited and three he threw his Bible down and kicked it halfway down the hall hallway and said you don't need this you're a Bible worshiper you need to listen to Jesus I'm like you are never gonna get back in this house again ever and I thought what in the world but that's what people are doing in a more subtle way in some of the new doctrines that are coming into the church saying yeah the Bible's good but you don't really need it that bad When you have Andy Stanley, who's one of the up-and-coming preachers in America, turn to a Southern Baptist pastor's convention and tell them, you need to take your spotlight off of the Bible. When I heard that, my blood just ran cold. I said, this is an age where we need to put the spotlight back on the scriptures more than we ever have. Thank you. number of years ago, there was a preacher by the narrative a teacher, young teacher for youth by the name of Rob Bell, he did a book called Velvet Elvis, and at the time, all the youth pastors in the world that I knew were saying, you need to read this book. This guy's awesome. This guy's great. He's cutting edge. I didn't know what that meant. Later, I found out it meant having cool glasses and, you know, something else, but it's basically he just had this book and talked about the scriptures. And I thought, well, if everybody's reading it, then I should probably read it and find out what it was about. By the time I got through, I found it for what it was. It was a systemic and systematic tearing down of faith in the word of God, putting doubts in people's head in such a subtle way. He didn't come right out and say, you can't count on the Bible. No, he started talking about it. He reframed things and said, we're gonna talk about the Bible that contains the shared stories of our ancient ancestors. You know, that sounds real hip and stuff, but this is what I hear when I hear people say, the shared stories of our ancient ancestors. I see a bunch of cavemen around a fire. Ugh, Grog, me think we believe in God oh, we do too, you know, shared stories of ancient ancestors. That's the impression I get when he says that as well. Yeah, they were told a long time ago, but you know, a lot of time's gone by. So let's look at what's happened since then. And the way he presented it was so subtle that a whole generation of people who read that book came out not having the confidence in the scriptures that they had before. And I warned people about it, and I went to war about it, and I lost a lot of friends over it. And then I think 10 years later, The same Rob Bell comes out with another book called Love Wins. It says, there's no such thing as hell, you know? And so I'm kind of listening, and all I'm hearing is crickets from my former Rob Bell devotee friends. They're not saying anything. And then I find out that summer that Rob Bell was traveling with Deepak Chopra, one of the top New Age teachers in the world. And you know what the name of the conference was? Seduction of Spirit. You can't make this stuff up but there will always be another Rob Bell. There will always be another deceiver. There will always be another book like The Shack that is so filled with biblical errors that anyone who reads the Bible consistently should get this and yet it becomes a bestseller among believers. I'm sorry, I know some of this may offend some of you that love The Shack but it is not a book from God. And later, the author admits he doesn't believe in hell either. He thinks we're all gonna be reconciled to God somehow. And then there'll be the next teacher. Well, why are you talking about people and naming them? Well, first of all, Paul did it. Hymenaeus and Philetus erred from the truth, and God will deal with them. There's a time when you have to do it because you care more for the flock of God than you do for somebody who is telling a lie but they're so sincere. I'm not doubting people's sincerity, folks. I I learned and trained in the New Age movement when I was a teenager. Nicest people in the whole world, most sincere people you'd ever met, more loving than a lot of Christians I've ever met, but still bound body, soul, and spirit by a lie. And we have to remember these words of Paul before we just accepting anything because it's a best-selling book or because they get on one of the popular TV shows, Christian shows, and it's this, 2 Corinthians eleven fifteen through 25. Paul said, for such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming into apostles of Christ. And no marvel for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. Whether it's me, Pastor Charlie, or anybody that fills any pulpit in America, your job is still to be a Berean, where it says of Paul as they received their word gladly, but they searched the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. That's your job, that's your, that's your a guarantee, I suppose, against deception. So we need to be careful and we need to be watchful. The attack on the word of God in these days is threefold. Obviously, it's an attack on, in society. It's a rejection of biblical principles concerning family, sexuality, drug use, religion. I said last night, I'll say it again, there's a war coming into the church about the use of marijuana. And there's going to be more and more believers who are smoking marijuana and saying, well, you know, it's legal in my state or, you know, it's helping me. I'm not talking about the medical part of that. I'm not talking about the oils. I don't want to get into that discussion because that's a whole different discussion. But I'm not having those discussions with all my old hippie friends. With all my old hippie friends, they're saying, oh, no, man, you know, this helps me with my headaches. You know, we'll stop smoking dope. That will help you with your headaches. Stop using it as an excuse, but that's a war we're gonna have to fight. Fight as I find out there are worship uh, leaders in this country who are using marijuana as a pre-worship experience for their worship leaders before they go on stage in evangelical churches. Does that bother you? Bothers me a lot. It's one of the wars that's coming up in our society. Mockery of the word of God. You see it on every TV show. You hear it from your friends. It's on every internet site you go on attacking the credibility and the reliability of the word of God. But the word is also coming through some places in the Western church. There is a weakening of the word of God. I don't know how this started, but there was a time when you went to church, you heard the word of God consistently. And then we grew into larger and larger churches. And as we took on the purpose-driven model, the purpose-driven model consists of we're going to give you a little Jesus snack of scriptures. And then we're going to talk about a lot of life principles and nice things. And so the word of God became less and less. And so you get a little portion of scripture on the screen and that's all you hear about the word of God through the whole message. So the lessening of the word of God is part of that war, the weakening of it, the confusing of the word of God. Do your own study on this folks. But I think pastor and I, we talked about this and I think we're very careful about the versions that we use when we teach and preach because there are a number number of versions that have taken out hundreds of scriptures for no good reason, and you would be shocked. Do your own study if you want, like for example, KJV versus NIV version, and see how many verses you see disappeared from the NIV. I'm not a King James person only, but I'm getting real close. And I think what set me over the edge was probably the message. The message was a book that came out a few years ago. Most Christians, by the way, don't know the difference between a translation and a paraphrase. A translation is where you take the word per word and you translate it into an understandable English phrase. Paraphrase is me sitting there and going, oh, Paul said this. I wonder what that means. Let me write down what I think it means. That's a a paraphrase. The message is not a translation, it is a paraphrase. It was one man sitting down and writing this down. I never felt comfortable with it. I didn't understand why. I didn't understand why a lot of my friends who are in the ministry, were, they loved this book because it was so nice to hear, I guess. I don't know, I know I'm offending people. That's okay, that's kind of my life job. But I talked to a good friend of mine, Warren Smith. i just met him. He had written an astonishing book called Deceived on Purpose about the purpose-driven movement, and he was a new friend, and I talked to him. I said, talk to me about this. Talk to me about that. I'm trying to get an understanding of what this means. I said, talk to me about the message. Why am I uncomfortable with that? And he says, do you have your message there? I said, yeah. He says, what does the Lord's Prayer say in the King James? you know father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread forgive us our trespasses thy will be done on earth as it is at heaven he says stop there read that in the message and i read it in the message and what the message translated or whatever was as above so below now to most people that means nothing but to if you understand the occult world and the new age world As above, so below are four of the most powerful words in magic and the occult world. It means God and man are equal. When I read that, I dropped the message and I said, I am never, ever gonna encourage anybody to read this. I don't know why that was in there, but the more I studied, the more I realized it was a departure from biblical truth. And it is a concern to me that this is the go-to Bible for a great number of pastors in America in this hour. Do your own research. Don't take my word for it. Be a brand. But it matters to me that we stay consistent with the scriptures and careful about the translations we use. The questioning of the word of God is something that's coming up more frequently. I'll get into that in a minute. But here's one of the, war, the wars that we have to face against about the word of God is in our personal lives. And some of you know what I'm talking about. How many of you don't raise your hand because I don't want to embarrass myself or you? How many of you made a commitment this year, I'm going to spend more time with Jesus and his word than I ever have before? And after about the fifth day when you had maybe one or two days that it worked, and then a week goes by and you're like, I haven't spent time with Jesus in like two weeks. You realize there's a war to keep you away from that fellowship. There's a war to keep you away from the word of God. Everything in the world will try and distract you from picking up that word and getting in the presence of God and saying, Jesus, talk to me. I want to know you. I want to hear you. I want to read you. I want to understand you. Everything in the world, phone calls, distractions, crisis, you know what I'm talking about. Anybody admit to that? Yes, this is the war that many of us face when trying to have that personal relationship with Jesus that's a war on the word of God Uh, it uh, we are attacked when we do read and study Uh, for young people this is a consistent war well I tried to read the Bible the minute I started reading it. all these horrible horrible thoughts came into my head well yeah because the enemy doesn't want you reading the word of God work through it work through it put it down rebuke it whatever but plow through when that attack comes we are attacked by unbelievers. Uh, there's an attack on, by unbelievers on those who do believe in the word of God and stand on it and use the word of God to reach others. You know, I know it's not easy. I know it's not easy in this culture to take a stand. You know, how much easier it is, you know, to carry my Bible to church. Because, you know, I could be texting. So if I'm in Starbucks, I could be reading the Bible or I could be texting. If you go into Starbucks with a Bible, pretty sure people know you're not texting. And there was a time when this was it. When we were first believers, we carried this to school. The day I got saved, I picked up my little Bible, and I took it to school, and I lost every friend I had, both of them. But (laughs) the young lady that I grew up with, I thought she was going to be a lifetime friend. All she did was look at my Bible and she spit on me in front of everybody and said, get away from me, you Jesus freak. Well, that wasn't her talking. I found that out later. But, you know, the reaction was very clear and very visceral. And I thought, well, there must be something about this. And uh, I know we probably are not going to return to the day of carrying our Bibles, but I kind of wish we were. Because it does something. And I shared yesterday, we had a young guy in our youth group years ago. He was shy. He had just come to Jesus. He didn't know how to share his faith. But he thought he was going to take a risk. And he carried his Bible to school. wasn't very big, but it was a Bible. Immediately got the attention of the biggest, baddest, drug-dealing Satanist at Hanks High School. And he immediately saw that Bible and slammed our young friend up against the fence and said, You Christians are such wimps. And just with that little space between this guy's face and him, he took his Bible and tapped it on his chest and said, If I'm such a wimp, you carry this for a day. And the guy just walked away. It's a test. Loyalty to the Word of God is and will continue to be a test for believers, as well as it should be. First Timothy 4:1 says. Now the Spirit, the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. And I wanna focus in on that for a minute because there is the truth and then there are doctrines of demons. This is what I call Satan's script. And if you talk to unbelievers, you know what I'm talking about. There is a script that suddenly they can pull up and start reciting, though they may have never heard it before themselves. You talk about Jesus. Well, all paths lead to God. Well, Jesus can't be the only way because all paths lead to God. There is no hell, heaven and and hell are here on earth. Uh, The Bible is just a book written by men. It's been revised so many times. It's been rewritten so many times you can't trust it. My favorite, the Bible's full of contradictions. Okie doke, there you go, show me. Come back later, and then they'll come back with a bunch of atheistic stuff that they've studied to prove the Bible's not real. But the script is the same. You know, there was a time one of the people that I followed spiritually was a man who was a total reprobate from God named Bishop Pike, I believe he is Episcopalian, totally reprobate from God, totally new age, but he was a man of the cloth. His son committed suicide, and he spent the rest of his life going to seances, contacting his dead son, which I believe the scriptures talk about as familiar spirits. You know, if someone dies, folks, I got to tell you this, because not a lot of Christians really know this. If someone dies, the elevator goes up or down. They don't hang around to see what's up. So if you're talking to somebody dead relative, it's not them, it's a demonic disguised as a relative. You need to know that. Well, Bishop Pike talked to his dead son and his dead son supposedly said, dad, don't worry about it, it's wonderful here. Yeah, don't worry about Jesus, he was just a good man. Don't worry about the Bible, dad, it doesn't matter. There's no such thing as hell. This demon was reciting these doctrine of demons to Bishop Pike and finally convinced his dad to go out to the Israeli desert to find him, and he ended up falling on the rocks and dying. Doctrines of demons. I hear it through people who are demonically possessed. I hear it through the mouths of unbelievers that are reciting a script. You need to have an answer. It doesn't have to be an argument, but I have no problem with that because Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Well. You know all paths lead to God no why because Jesus said this it's either true or it's not see what I'm saying so the truth is what defeats the doctrine of demons in this age there's a war on prophecy that I want to go into for a few minutes because I'm so happy that pastor Charlie is putting an emphasis on biblical prophecy because we grew up as, as young men in the faith knew each other, and we were so excited about Jesus coming back. It was like it was gonna be any day, it could be any day. And we would read our Bibles and say, oh, look at this, look what just happened in Israel. Isn't that how Jesus is coming back any moment. And then there was this big computer. Back then you have to understand, we didn't have the power of you know, billions of bits of information on a phone. You know, the biggest computer was a three block mainframe in Brussels, Belgium, which they called the beast, which was interesting. And it was part of what was called the 10 nation uh, of European common market that was getting started. We thought, well, this has gotta be it because in the Old Testament it says the 10 nation coalition, you know, and here's this thing called the beast. We thought this is it. Well, it wasn't it, but it is still coming. And if then it was coming, it is coming even closer. So we look at things, you know, part of biblical prophecy is in the book of Daniel, God said to Daniel, the angel said to Daniel, go your way, seal up the words of the book. It's not for your time. Well, I think it's for this time, and I think we're just going to, uh, Charlie, I think we're just going to be right on the edge of it, and then we're going to be able to see it and say, this is that, because that's the thing about biblical prophecy, is it points to God speaking the truth centuries before it happened. So we're looking at, I think I was even. Uh, I think it was uh, Pastor Dwight just did a message about that. We're looking at this guy, uh, uh, Emmanuel Macron, the president of France, who's trying to get a 10-nation army together from the european union we're like well this could be it i'm still just excited about it now as jesus is coming back as i ever have been and we always get this question somebody raises their hand and says oh people been saying jesus is coming back for hundreds of years he's not here yet and the last time that happened i pointed the guy I said you know you're in the bible he says how am i in the bible because the bible says in the last days scoffers shall come saying where is the sign of his appearing So you're in the Bible, you should be happy. Everybody wants to be famous for a moment. He was not happy. Probably shouldn't have done that. But I felt better until I had to repent later. Still, I would have done it. Focus. Rick Warren said in The Purpose Driven Life that Jesus said, the details of my return are none of your business. Question one. Did Jesus say that? The answer, no, he did not. Jesus gave all what he said in Matthew 24 and in the book of Mark and Luke and he said, what I say to you, I say unto all, watch, get ready. What it did is had the effect of having a whole generation of young Christian believers who followed purpose-driven thinking, we're not gonna deal with the prophetic anymore. Because Jesus said, the details of my return are none of your business. See how subtle one little lie, a little leaven leavens the whole loaf of the Western church. Someone asked me, please take a look at this mega church back east. We've got friends. We want to see if it's okay. I went and started looking into it. I thought, I want to look at their statement of faith because that's always what you do first when you're looking for a new church. Let's see what they believe. Well, they believe some things were good, some things that are kind of eh, but the one thing that was missing was any mention at all about the return of Jesus Christ or about the last days. That was a no-go for me, but I thought, let me see how far this extends. And I looked at several of the biggest churches in America and they had nothing about the return of Jesus Christ. They either removed it or never had it at all. How far we are from the scriptures who say talk about those that love his appearing. The great hope is the return of Jesus Christ for his church. And how are people going to be prepared for what's happening if they don't know? See, when the book of Acts, remember when the day of Pentecost came, the fire fell and all this, stuff was happening you have to remember israel was living in a state of spiritual deadness for hundreds of years and they're waiting and here comes the messiah and then they crucify him and then they're still waiting and all of a sudden In Jerusalem, in the upper room on the day of Pentecost, the fire of God falls, the power of God falls. People are speaking in other tongues. There's this wild outbreak of the Holy Spirit visiting Israel once again, visiting his people. And Peter got up and said, this is not strange. This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. It is so important in this hour that you understand and learn Biblical prophecy, particularly concerning the last days, because there are a number of scriptures that are on the verge of being fulfilled that we're actually seeing in our lifetimes, but if you don't know what to look for, you don't know what's going on. For example, uh, on on the last day of Hanukkah this year, the Sanhedrin, which you read about in the book of Matthew, the book of uh, Luke, and all of those, uh, it's a ruling body. It's kind of like the Jewish Supreme Court, which has been annihilated, You know, when Israel was wiped out but was reconvened for the first time in thousands of years in Jerusalem just recently, the last few years, the Sanhedrin is back. And on Hanukkah, last night of Hanukkah, they took a stone and they dedicated it and they anointed it for the rebuilding of the third temple. Now, for those of you who follow biblical prophecy, this is what has to happen for these things to conclude. Israel is God's timepiece. And how sad it's to bring this information to a whole generation of believers who say, what's the Third Temple got to do with anything? I'm kind of pro-Palestinian myself. What a war we're fighting, you know? But we have to bring biblical truth, and I believe the more you know the truth about prophecy and scripture, the more you can talk to your unbelieving friends. It's effective. I remember when I first got saved, I got a knock on my door window. I was only like 15. My brother is furiously knocking on the door of my bedroom window outside. You got to come out here right now. I'm like, what's wrong with him? Somebody die? I go out there and he's in his car with his three friends. They've been sitting there reading the book of Revelation and they are terrified. What does this mean? You're the only person we know we can ask because you're that Jesus freak person. What does this mean? Prophecy got their attention. Prophecy will get people atten- people's attention. The scriptures say that, the, let's see if I can find the verse real quick, that, well, let me move on a little bit. I'll get to it here in a second. But biblical prophecy is important that the enemy destroy it. He doesn't want this message being brought because it does lead people to Jesus. But we have to prepare people with what's coming, and that's the only way to do it, is through the word of God about what these things say. Okay, it's important there, I can't go into all the details because we're running a little short on time, but I want you to know there's approximately 101 last days prophecies and some major ones that are yet to be fulfilled and this is the hour when we can point to those things and say, this is that, this is not random, this is happening and God said it hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago, if he said that, shouldn't you be listening to him now because he's more relevant than the newspapers or Fox News or anything else so there's still things to be fulfilled so satan has deliberately taken all those things about prophecy out of the church uh, so that we cannot give this clear gospel to the world Um, let me move on a little bit here so i believe we must read the word to understand the times and prepare ourselves and be ready for the times that we're in Uh, but I'm hearing people in the western church particularly the emergent church saying that the scriptures are shared stories or that we don't need the Old Testament and that is very very concerning to me there was a, a recent uh, uh, teacher who will remain unnamed for the moment but he's got one of the most popular books out on the market right now uh... and he says this and it's part of a study group it's part of a uh, a study guide, and a video that they're pushing in all of the churches right now. And because this guy's written a couple of books that seem okay, people are swallowing this book, uh, which I'm going to tell you the name of the book. You can know your own research. It's called Irresistible. And this is what he says to believers. This is just a couple of quotes. Ancient Israel was a means to an end. The end has come. Oh, that sounds like replacement theology to me. He says, I hope you'll be ready to unhitch your faith, your theology, and your lifestyle once and for all from the old that Jesus came to replace. In other words, the Old Testament. He said God's covenant with Israel was temporary. This is what he says about the Old Testament, or even the whole Bible. He says, read it for historical context and inspiration, but don't try any of this stuff at home. Anybody okay with this? He says, to be clear, thou shalt not obey the Ten Commandments. The Old Testament is not a comprehensive book about God, which he backs up with nothing. I find the Old Testament an extraordinarily comprehensive book about God. He says, to love the way Jesus called us to love requires a complete break with the inspired but retired beautiful but obsolete old testament he says it's remarkable what happens when thoughtful educated skeptical men and women are invited to embrace the message of jesus without having to believe that a man or two of every or two of every kind of animal on a boat after which god flooded and then killed everybody but that man and his family The Christian faith does not need to be propped up by the Jewish scriptures. This stuff makes my blood boil. If you're okay with this, let's sit down and have a Bible study because God gave us this book and it's one book. It is one book. There is a new covenant, but that's a whole other story. That's a whole other study. But to say we need to discard the Old Testament as obsolete is one of the most demonic things I've heard come into the church, and it is a firestorm right now dividing churches and taking down whole churches into this lie. So we need to be very careful we don't follow that. So I want to encourage you uh, to read this book, to study this book. It is God-breathed truth according to scriptures. The Scriptures are not for men, but... Holy men of old wrote and it says that God, these scriptures are inspired, God breathed. God gave these words. And I need to be one of those people to tell you, though it's the thing that's being mocked on every front now, same old phrase holds true for me. God said it, I believe it, that settles it. May I live and die on that truth rather than compromise and try and mess with the word of God. So how do we fight this war on the word? First of all, you read it. And i had somebody say i don't retain anything you don't think you are but i totally believe this word is so powerful that when you read it it may just bypass your brain and go right into your spirit i believe psalm 119 attests to that thy word have i hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. It'll go in. Don't worry if you don't retain it. It's being retained somewhere and strengthened in your very spirit, because that's where we live, not in our head, but in our spirits, and that is going to become strength to you. So read it. Study it. Study to show thyself approved unto God. Don't just read one verse and say, okay, I'm half a cup of coffee down. I got to get busy. Take time with it. We take time for the people we love, do we not? If you love Jesus, take time for him. Take time for his word, and I shared this last night. I'm almost done, folks, hang hang tight. I have a stack of letters from my mother that she wrote. She was in World War II. She was on the first medical team to go into Hiroshima after we dropped the bomb. She went through typhoons, she went through the end of the war, and she wrote a whole stack of letters to my great aunt about what that experience was like. I cherish those letters. I can take that bundle of letters out I feel the words on the page I can almost smell her in the letters but it was the history that she left and the loving words of a daughter or a niece being sent to her aunt and it, it's just so powerful. I thought if that from my mother's letters, how much more should the word of God be to us, which are the letters from our loving father to help us to know how to get through the duration while we're still here. Cherish it, read it, study it, believe it. Stand on it, no matter what are the criticisms. Don't get mad at people, people because you take a spiritual stand. Pray for them. Memorize the scriptures as best you can. Speak it every chance that you get. Use it in every portion of your life. It's practical for everything. And then proclaim the truth everywhere you can. And I tell my young people all the time, we're not called to explain. We're called to proclaim. Proclaim the truth. Don't get in petty arguments. Speak the truth. Let it stand. Give an answer to the hope that is in you. But don't get involved in the arguments. Don't explain. Proclaim. It is the truth whether people believe it or not. Demons fear it. Therefore, speak it, the world will hate it. Speak it anyway, hold it precious. You know, in a day when it's mocked and ridiculed, many false teachers in the church are demeaning, criticizing, lessening in its importance, I wanna tell you a short story that I remember so clearly from the time which needs to be retaught somehow to every generation of the time when communism had destroyed the lives of millions of Christians around the world. For just being a Christian, you would lose your life in the Soviet Union or in Mao's communist China. And by the way, we've had about 20 years of liberty where the church in China had exploded. And it was said at one point, if the growth continued, that China could become a Christian nation by 2042. But the demonic dragon head has raised its head again through President Xi of China, who has said, Christianity is our enemy and we're going to have to extinguish it. So China is now entering another period of horrible persecution where they are blowing up churches and burning them down and disappearing pastors that are never seen again and never will be. Real persecution coming back communist style to China. It may come to, the so- to Russia as well. It's not easy to be a Christian there, but it could change in a minute and be impossible to be a Christian and not lose your life for it. But I grew up in an era where it was real, persecution was real. And I remember so clearly the story of when the church service was held in a little secret place, a little building, and the KGB were modified. And they came in, and they broke up, and they killed nearly everybody in the church. And there was one girl, I think she was about 12 or 13, and she had her Bible, and the KGB took the Bible, threw it on the ground, and kicked it, and mocked it, and they spit on it, and spit on it, and spit on it. And this little 12, 13 year old girl merely got down on her knees and took her hair and just wiped away the spit off of this precious Bible and held it to her chest. And it was the last act of her earthly life before they shot her. How sad for us that we hold the word of God so common When in nations around the world, people would gladly give their lives for one portion of the book of John, just one page. God's got a lot of work to do in us. If the Bible is not the word of God, why has every demonic dictator in history from Stalin to Mao, Hitler to modern day Islamic nations tried with everything there is to destroy every Bible they could find? because they fear the power of the word of God working through believers. It's the only threat to their kingdom. Jesus said, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall never pass away. Should we not so revere his word? People said, you're a word worshiper. No, I'm not. I worship the one who gave me the word. But let's see what God said about, what did God say about his word? This answers all questions for me. Psalm 138 thirty-eight two. David said, I will worship towards your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth. For you have magnified your word above your name, above all your name. God put his word and said, this is it. And my name backs up this word. And we better put our hearts in the same place. There's a story that was told, I guess it was Charles Spurgeon that talked about the great uh, evangelist, John Bunyan. And he said of him, why this man is a living Bible. Prick him anywhere, his blood is bibbling. The very essence of the Bible flows from him. He cannot speak without quoting a text for his very soul is full of the word of God. I don't really have a lot of aspirations in life, but I've asked the Lord, if nothing else, Lord, let me be a man of God, which, which when you prick me, that I will bleed scripture, that when you push me, that I will speak scripture, that when you ask me, I will give you scripture. That's my own personal prayer, and I pray it, pray it is for all of us. God needs to raise up a Josiah generation. I'm so concerned for this, this generation of youth. Youth ministry all over the country is flatlining and they're finding out that a bunch of games and a little Jesus snack is not building disciples. They need biblical truth, they need training, they need raising up in the ways of God and spiritual warfare and they need the word of God to become part and parcel of everything they do. King Josiah was a young man when he was put in the throne. They didn't know anything about the scriptures. The Torah had been taken out of the heart of Israel. All there was was Baal and false prophets, that's all. And Josiah not knowing anything about the Lord or the scriptures said, let's build the temple. I think that's a project we can do. They started to build it and one of the men of God came back and said, we found the book they found the scriptures and I could hear a holy hush of angels when that word came to Josiah we found the book and he said read it and the word of God was read and it broke a young man's heart and he rent his clothes and wailed and cried out to God and became the great reformer of Israel because he heard the word of the Lord may God raise up that kind of a generation in this hour that they will let the word of God convict them and break them, cleanse them and empower them, equip them and enable them for battle in this generation. So folks, God bless you. I ask you to be brave, to be bold, and to be sure about the word of God and about Jesus Christ in your life. We're going home soon. Stay steady, hold the course, and have a great Sunday. God bless you.